This is Truth Encounter, and we're going to be talking about desires, about our deep internal cravings for something more. Is this hunger in our eye and in our body evil? Is it good? Is God the one who opposes all of our appetites? If not, then why did he close his big tin with this concluding rule, Thou shalt not covet? For the past several months, we have been carefully discussing what Dave has called God's Big Ten. We have now arrived at the Tenth Commandment. A trip to the dentist is never high on the desire list, but this trip for Dave led to more than a filling. Listen as he shares about his meeting with Dr. Jamie Lash. When I got through with the cleaning and the hygienist gave me my biannual lecture on the need to floss, any of you get that lecture? Dr. Irving came and said, Dave, I want you to meet a friend. And so I went in and I, Eddie said, this is Jamie. And Jamie said, blah, 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 blah. no, no, he, he had everything out of his mouth at that time. And he said, I've got a little track together. In fact, Eddie showed me this beautiful layout, beautiful drawing just an exquisite drawing of this beautiful little girl. And she was in that crawling stage, you know, that stage when you get everything rolling all at once, the hands and the feet are all working together. And this beautiful little girl is in the midst of this living room carpet, and there, just about a few feet in front of her, is a great big pin. And Jamie handed me, he's a young father, he handed me this piece that he'd written. And it brought back all these memories about when I had, you know, little ones, when Janae and Joshua, and then before that, Jonathan and Joel, were in that crawling stage. And Jamie reminded me about the time when the little crawlers are anything, they're discovering the world by putting it into their mouth. Do you remember that, Mom and Dad? Remember when your kids were discovering the world by anything that would fit, would go into the mouth? I mean... Jamie reminded me of his little day. She, he walked in, she had a whole bar of soap in her mouth. And never mind the fact that she only had six teeth, you know, with six teeth, that's plenty enough to chomp down a bar of ivory. You know, that's simple. And so he was describing how everything, you know, toys, trucks, anything that would fit in there, it went in. And he described how one day he walked in the living room and there was Jessica's little crawler headed for a pin. He went over there, you know, as hard as, you know, dad's really going to be uptight. And, and Jamie grabbed that pin away from Jessica and he held it in his, in his hand and he looked down at his daughter and his daughter gave him one of those crawling looks. And Jamie described in the article that he wrote how, what he was thinking, you know, he could just put himself in little Jessica's mind. Boy, my daddy's mean. My daddy hates me. Why won't my daddy let me have that bright, shiny pin? And Jamie's sitting there going, boy, if only you knew, if only you knew how much I love you, if only you knew how much I cared, if only you knew how much this pen that you think is going to be the essence of life would destroy your little stomach, if only you knew about my love. You know, as I read Jamie's piece and as I began to think about the Tenth Commandment, and you can all give it to me, the Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not, everybody covet. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. And then it goes on, thou shalt not internally desire. 
your neighbor's male servant, his female servant, his ox, his, his donkey, anything you want to name, his tent, his house. What the Tenth Commandment is doing, it's focusing our attention and saying that the, that the culmination of this basic moral principle for living is focused on you shall not desire what the Lord does not desire for you. I believe I'm going to give you one of the most important lessons that you could ever have in the Scripture. Because the lesson today is going to tell you the basic thing that's wrong with us. The thing that gets us into trouble. It's all focused on the idea, why does little Jessica desire so badly to eat the pin? Why does she want to put it in her mouth? Why does she want to swallow it? Why does she get angry with her dad when her dad takes the pin away? If you can think about it, you'll understand what's really wrong inside of us. Because as we finish the Ten Commandments, as we kind of look back and summarize, I want you to think in terms of two kinds of love. You see, the problem with every one of us is that we're not in love with the right person. Because we're not in love with the right person, we tend to desire the wrong things. All the commandments are about love. We don't think of it like that. We think it's about pins. We think it's about things that the daddy's trying to take away from us. All the good delights that we want to get into our mouth, we want to be able to enjoy, we want to get it into our life. All the commandments are about love and trying to get you to respond to the right love. And we can think of it like this. Positive God-given desires true love, and worship. You see, the first four commandments are focused on a vertical relationship and they're summarized by our Lord. When when a, a scribe asks Jesus Christ, Jesus, give us a summary of the law. What's the foundational commandment? Jesus said this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. You see, it's about love. It's about a vertical love. The first four commandments just express that kind of vertical love. And so we have, as we think about what's wrong with this, we need to ask ourselves, first of all, who are we in love with? What's really going on in our heart? And this commandment, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife, and then thou shalt not desire your neighbor's things. Those two words, the word to covet and the word to desire, are words in Hebrew that are used many times. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin by showing how those words are used positively. You see, I believe that there's some young people here that think that God is saying, thou shalt not desire. I think there's some adults here that are saying that what God's command is, thou shalt not desire. You see, a relationship with God is about feeling nothing. It's about it's about nose. It's about not enjoying life. It's about boredom. It's about everything that's the, that's the opposite of life. You see, if you were like back where I was raised as a kid, my, a lot of my religious friends would play ball all day Saturday, and they would have a really good time. They would also on Saturday night go out and do a lot of things that were sinful. They would fulfill the passions of their bodies illegitimately. 
But early morning on ch at church, they would get up and about 6 o'clock, they would give prayers of confession. And in this church, which if I were to talk to my friends, is it really a fun place? Is it a, is it a place where you really have a good time? Is it a place where, where there's really full of love and joy and all those kind of things? They would say, no, Horace. It's a place to get rid of my guilt. It's a place of, of kind of sadness. It's a place where I unload everything that came to me as a result of the good time I had the night before. So the basic idea is Saturday night is for fun. Sunday morning is for repentance and sorrow and crying. And I want you to think about what that says about desires. You see, what it says, you see, is we really need to have a good time. We need to have it away from God. We need to get away from God to have a good time. I mean, after all, who wants to invite the pastor to a party? You see, we need to get away from the representative of God to be able to have a good time. And that's a really deep-seated idea inside of all of us. It's a, this idea that somehow God is the killjoy of heaven. Somehow God is the one that takes away all the fun and all the pleasure and all the good times. And if we can get away from him, then we can have a good time. Well, let's ask ourselves what the Old Testament says about desire. It says, first of all, that we need to have a desiring in our heart. We need to have a coveting in our heart for God. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 26, verses 8 through 9. And I want you to see the passion of this Old Testament hymn of worship. And here we have the prophet Isaiah talking about a group of Israelites and in a future day will be returning to the Holy Land. They'll be returning to the Holy City and the Lord will be moving them to the celebration of all the promises that the Lord had given them. In fact, it begins in chapter 26. Look at it. In that day, this song, Isaiah 26, verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. So we've got a song being sung. We have a strong city. God makes salvation, its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nations may enter in, the nation that keeps dependability, that keeps faithfulness. Now come down a little bit further to verse 8. Yes, Lord, now the believer as he sings or as she sings is expressing what's at the heartbeat of their life. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown, remember the commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Here's the positive expression of, of that command. Your name, we honor your name. Your fame, your renown are the desire of our hearts. In other words, what makes us tick inside? What makes our heart respond is your name, your character, who you are. Singing praise to you, expressing adoration to you. Now look at verse 9. This is the verse that really gets me. My soul, and that word soul means my life vitality, the very inner core of what makes me tick. My soul, my life vitality yearns, feel it. There's, even, there's almost like a romance in this verse. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world will hear righteousness. Here's an Old Testament saint that's expressing this vertical dimension of fulfilling the first commandment. It's the essence of life. Every one of you have been built to be in love. Every one of us have been built to have longings, to have desires. 
And I know it's hard for you to believe, but your life's longings, your life's desires are not really going to come together until you become a person that yearns for Him in the night. That longs for Him in the morning. I love the old hymn. It says, when morning gilds the skies, and I can just see the sun coming up and, and almost like a marvelous metallurgist would, would gild a beautiful art object, the, the golden sunlight of the sun gilds the sky. When morning gilds the sky, my heart, my heart, my life vitality, the very core of my being, my heart awakening cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. You know, my prayer for every one of you is that you know the sweetness of having your head on your pillow at night and being able to be in love with the Lord, to be able to talk to Him, to be able to just pour out a day's stress to Him, to be able to pour out to Him all of your problems, to be able just to lie there on your pillow at night in the darkness and be able just deep in your soul to be able to have closeness with Him. All the other closeness that you have, brothers and sisters, flows out of that vertical closeness with Him. When you get up in the morning, you see as we grow older, a lot of the things that we used to get up in the morning for don't really move us anymore. I mean, I can remember a day when, man, I could get up at 4 o'clock because I was going to get to go to an amusement park. When I was a kid, it was Coney Island. To be able to get up in the morning, man, I would wake up at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. If only we could go to Coney Island that day on a spring break vacation, man, that would be big stuff. You see, a lot of those desires begin to run out of gas as you go a little bit older. I mean, you can only ride so many roller coasters. And what I covet for every one of you is the desire, the longing that will never run out. As a little kid, I began to fall in love with God. And the Lord began to teach me, slowly but surely, what it was to be able to, to talk with Him at night, all alone in the dark, and be able to be close to Him. It's one of the hardest things to do, to learn to just quiet your heart and really talk to Him. But you know, as I grow older, the preciousness of that one-on-one -on -one time with God is something that becomes more and more dear. And I pray that every one of you are having that same experience. Are you in love with God today? Are you in love with God today? It's a gift that you need to receive from the Holy Spirit. When you get up in the morning, do you get up in the morning and long for Him? Spending a day with Him makes a day worth spending. This dear Old Testament saint in this hymn of praise is saying, in the night I long for him, I crave him. And it's a word that's used in this Ten Commandments. It's the same word, covet and desire. These words in Hebrew that speak about this deep internal craving, the writer is using them positively about this vertical relationship with God. Turn to Psalm 19. So we should not only have a coveting desire, we should not only have this longing in our heart for a personal relationship with God, but this spills over into a love for His Word. Psalm 19, verse 10. Psalm 19, I'll begin with verse 9. It says, The reverent fear of the Lord, or the reverent respect of the Lord, is pure. It endures forever. There's another thing that will last. The ordinances of the Lord are sure. They are altogether righteous. Look at verse 10 now. The writer uses some imagery to tell us how precious this word of the Lord is to him. 
They are more precious to me than gold. And some of you have the King James Version, and here I think they have a really good translation. They are more desirable than gold. We used to sing a song, more desirable are they than gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. And what it's saying is that they are more desirable than the most precious gold, than much fine gold, the most refined metal that you can have that's worth thousands of dollars. It's saying that the, the, the love of the Word of God is worth more than that. And that word desirable, more desirable, is the word that's used, you shall not desire anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not have an internal desire for what God doesn't desire for you. But what should you have a desire for? Like, is God telling you not to have any desires? Is he telling you not to long after anything? No. He's saying, I want you to fall in love. I want you to desire. I want you to covet. I want you to have this deep internal passion for me, for this vertical relationship with God, and I want you to have a desire for my word. You see, as I talk to you, a lot of you have been ministered to by the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God is something you long for. In other words, even now as we're opening up these pages of Scripture, we open up to Psalm 19, we look at verse 10, and we begin to explain the verses. Some of you, as you listen to that, it's just like eating a steak dinner. In fact, a lot of you that have just come to know the Lord and baby believers are, are, are just like physical babies. Man, they can hardly wait to get that milk. And some of you just can't get enough of it. That's usually the way a believer starts out. Some of you that are older, though, have lost your craving. Because as you began to grow, as you began to really be ministered to by the Word, you came to some snags along the road. You came to some blocks to spiritual growth. And disobedience begins to suck away the desire that we have for the Word of God. And the pathway back home, the pathway back to that passion again is to confess it, to draw near to the Lord again, and open your heart. And let that personal relationship begin to flow again. Get in touch with some of these younger believers that need your help, that need your maturity. But you also need them. Their passion of youth, their passion of, of childlikeness and their relationship with the Lord will get you going again. But what it's saying is that we need to have a desire, we need to have a longing for God and for his word. You say, well, that's fine, Dave. I sound like a monk off in some monastery somewhere. Is that what God wants me to do? He wants us to spend a, a, a lifelong Big Bend experience? Though God is going to call you to those one-on-one -on -one times with him. God's love and the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments isn't just a vertical relationship. It's not become a, becoming a celibate, solitary monk. That's not necessarily what love for God is. You see, love for God in the vertical dimension fleshes itself out as we've been learning in the Ten Commandments. It fleshes itself out in the way that we relate to one another. And what I did is I went through the Hebrew Old Testament and I looked up the, 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 the horizontal way that the Lord talks about desires and he talks about deep longings. Let me give you some of those. In fact, the Lord summarized the second part of the Ten Commandments, the second half of them, with Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? 
We often interpret that to be kind of a very negative command. It means I sacrifice everything and my, and my neighbor has everything and I have nothing. That's that old monastic punish yourself idea. As we look at the Old Testament and look at what God says about your desires and your deep longings, the Bible talks about good food, good goods or good material things, good land and good sex. Let's look at some of those verses. Let's talk about how many of you like good food. How many of you here that are listening to me really, really like good food? You know who's the author of all your good food? God. Americans have a, have a real thing about food. We really do. Our thing is that we worship food, which leads us to either totally gorge ourselves on food, or we go on total abstention. And we kind of rock back and forth. The hardest thing to get an American to do is just sit at a regular meal with regular food and just sit there and enjoy it and say, this is great, good food. Look what the Bible says. Let's look at a couple of verses. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 20. Look what the Lord says. Deuteronomy 12, verse 20. When the Lord your God has enlarged your territory, in other words, when he's taken you into the promised land, as he promised you, the Lord always keeps his promises, and you crave meat. Now, I would expect the next line to say, if you crave meat, you're a bad, bad person. Don't you know that meat is bad for you? It's going to really wipe out your cholesterol count, right? Notice what it says. If they crave meat, and I would expect the next thing that God would say is, no, 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 no. Don't we come to church to have no, 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 no. No, look what the Scripture says. This is in the Old Testament, by the way, not in the age of grace, in the age of law. Look what it says. If you crave meat, it says, if you crave meat, I would, and you say to yourself, I would like to have some meat, then you may eat as much of it as you want. And all the ranchers said, if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, you may slaughter the animals from the herd and the flocks. The Lord has given you as I have commanded you, and in your towns you may eat as much of it as you want. Mean God. Naughty, naughty, naughty. Turn over a little bit more. Turn to chapter 14, verse 26. In chapter 14, verse 26, it speaks about one of the three times a year when all the children of Israel were supposed to go to a, a, the central sanctuary down in Jerusalem. Look what it says in verse 26. Use the silver, that would be your money. Use your money to buy whatever you like. Notice the emphasis on whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. And you should even get the preacher to rejoice with you. Do not neglect the Levites living among you in your towns. They have no allotment of an inheritance of their own. You need to invite them to come to your big Thanksgiving feast and eat with you. What I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, these words for desire... I know that every one of you is responding to me. Every one of you know what it means. Boy, I'd like to go and eat a good meal. How many of you understand that feeling? Okay. You know what God is saying? You know who gives you that feeling? God does. You know when it gets twisted? You know when we get overweight? You know when we abuse our bodies? When we think that, that'll make, that that's equal to God? We think a good meal it's going to meet all the needs of our life. And I want to share with you, you can get to be 600 pounds, you can eat as much food as you ever want, and it's not going to meet the need under number one. 
You're not going to meet your needs for a relationship. If your daddy didn't love you as a little girl and he didn't hug you into his lap and he didn't make you feel like you were special, you can eat till you're blue in the face and you're not going to get any more love from that. It's not going to make your daddy love you. So stop it. Stop trying to, to, to feel okay by eating. You see, that's what causes the problem with weight besides physical problems that need to be checked out. It's this deep craving inside of us. Somehow, when my stomach is full, I'm okay. But we're not okay. Makes us sick when we eat spaghetti till it's come out of our ears. You say, what's the answer to it? To be able to sit down at a meal and bow your head over it and say, Lord, I'm so thankful you created food. You know, there's even going to be food in heaven. It talked about the marriage, what of the Lamb? The marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat in heaven. You won't even need to eat then. So the Lord is saying, good food comes from Him. Don't make it your God, but it's a good thing from Him. And when we learn to have a vertical relationship with Him, right, then it will control this horizontal relationship. Good goods. Most of us have the idea if you come to God, if you live for God, then you can't have anything nice. You know, we need to especially keep the missionaries and the preachers really poor because if we ever give them enough money, then they won't be spiritual anymore. Right? Because it's much more spiritual to not have anything nice. That's not what the Scripture says. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 10. It says, in the house of the wise, in the house of those who build their life on the skillful teaching of God's word, looks at this, there are stores of choice or desirable food and wine and oil, but the foolish man devours all of them. In the house of the wise are stores of desirable, in fact, the, the Hebrew text here, here has are scores of desirable things. And it's the same word that's used. Thou shalt not devour what de desire what belongs to another. But it's saying that in the house of the wise and the one that chooses to live for the Lord, there will be good goods, good things. In the house of the wise, there are desirable things. How many of you like land? Kim Lewis loves to talk to us about land. He loves to go out on his land, especially this time of the year, and be able to walk among the wheat fields. All of, you, all of you, even in my little bit of land that I have, there's just something really special about being able to take a shovel and burying it deep in your own land. Gone with the wind said the whole meaning of life. When you lose your husband, you lose your house, you lose everything. If you got the dirt, then you've got everything. That's wrong. You don't have everything. You need God. But when you have God, God is a good God. And one of the things that God does, he cares for us. He also gives us good land. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 32, 12, it talks about the pleasant fields, the desirable fields that the Lord will give to us. Every farmer and rancher and everybody across this whole area, as they go out into their field and as the crops begin to grow, what, what Isaiah is saying is those desirable fields are all the good gifts from the Lord. Without him there would be no field. Satan doesn't create beautiful wheat fields. Only God does. And the Old Testament is saying that there's going to be good food, good goods, good land. Uh-oh. Good sex. As soon as you mention that word in our society, it's no. 
In fact, most of you come to church for years. You wouldn't even think there was sex. Most churches that I go into, I don't know why in the world they even have a nursery, because as far as the teaching of the Word of God is concerned, you wouldn't think the Bible said anything at all about sex, so you wouldn't need to have a nursery. And yet most churches are busting out the seams with babies. So somebody must know what's going on. Why is it that we have such a hang-up about sexuality? Why is it it's, it's always a no? Is that really what God's Word says? Is that really what God's Word teaches? Turn to the Song of Songs. They didn't, let, they didn't let Jewish boys read the Song of Solomon until they were about 40 years of age. But we're going to take a peek in here, and the, those that are under 40 can just turn off for a few minutes, okay? Song of Solomon. Now you'll all want to rush home and read Song of Solomon, right? That shows you how powerful that desire is. Look at Song of Solomon chapter 2. Verse 3, it says, Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. So the woman is talking, and she's saying, I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. You want to talk about erotic literature. I can't just go right from the Hebrew and just spell out for you in English what it's really talking about. But I think you can get the idea. But I want you to see the word. I delight to sit in his shade. I delight. There's our word. I desire. I long for him. And God is using it here of good sexual relationships in a marriage. Turn over a few chapters to uh, 5.16. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 16. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether, and then we have the word lovely, he is altogether desirable. This is my lover. This is my friend. You want to have good sexual relationships? That's what I would long for every one of you that the Lord leads into the marriage relationship of life. Children, we want the children to grow up and have good sexual relationships. As Friedrich Buechner has said, sex really is like nitroglycerin. It can be used for TNT and it can blow a life to smithereens, but it also, it also can be a healing salve, a healing medicine that heals broken hearts. You know what God is saying? God is saying here that good sex can only really be in the marriage relationship with the one that you made a promise to that you're going to be with forever and ever. It's about love. It's about true love. You see, what the problem is, you see, that the basic core of our life is these are the good gifts of the loving daddy. This is Jessica's daddy. Jamie wants the very best for little Jessica. And as she crawls towards those pins, her daddy wants her to be in love with him. And he wants to give her all these good things. He will, he'll even want to show her how to use pins correctly as she grows older. But they don't belong in your mouth. And that leads us to the second part we want to talk about. And this is the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet. You know what the Lord is telling you? He's saying, I want you to beware of negative Man-driven desires. 
All of sin, I want you to get this, all of sin is about a counterfeit love. All of sin is about a counterfeit love. Sin looks like this above. Sin looks like true love. It looks like you're going to receive good food, good goods, good land, good sex by following what the coveting desires of our heart really want. But it's not true. There are pins that when you swallow them, they tear your stomach to smithereens. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at it. Both Ephesians 5 and Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, put their finger on this essence of sin, and you might have missed it. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. It's in a long list of negatives that Paul gives us that we need to be careful about desiring things that are illicit. But then he makes an incredible statement. Ephesians 5, verse 5 says this. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, those would be the sexually uh, immoral people. And then it adds this, or greedy, or the greedy person. And then it adds a little parenthesis. Such an individual is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Look at it carefully. No immoral or impure person, the sexually immoral and the materialistic, the person that's greedy, and that's the, the breaking of the Tenth Commandment, that person, then it says this is what they are, they are an idolater. What I want you to understand is that all of sin flows out of the breaking of the First Commandment. It's about not having true love. Every one of you need to ask yourself, who am I in love with? And I'll tell you how you'll get the answer to that. What turns on your heart? What moves you to get up in the morning? Man, if you get up in the morning and you're driven, man, I need to get to work. Man, I really need to get to work because when I work, I really feel like I'm alive. I mean, the people at work make me feel like I'm important. I, man, I, I just love to make another buck. You know, I'm a salesman. And if I can only make another sale, man, that's really what drives me. Man, if I'm driving to work, I can hardly wait. That's what your God is. That's what you're in love with. That's what you're in love with. You need to ask yourself, what are you in love with? What the writer is saying is that to love what God doesn't love for you is to be an idolater. You're worshiping another God. Your God is whatever is controlling my life and yours. Dave may not be eloquent, but he does present God's Word down where we can all understand it. His concluding thoughts today exposing the power and the passion that can overwhelm even spiritual leaders deeply committed to God's work needs to be heeded. Illicit lust cannot be controlled by external rules and behavior patterns. It can only be overpowered by an intense, passionate intimacy with the true God. Please hear God's love for you today. Just because you desire something in your heart does not make it right. Will you trust the Word of God or will you believe your own instincts? Run to your loving Father in Heaven. Believe His Son's ability to satisfy you with good things. Come home 